Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, December 4th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, political discord in the workplace is growing nationwide. How can your job be affected by your political beliefs and affiliation? Also, part two of our special report on HIV challenges in the Delta, plus a Southern Remedy Health Minute. And the enrollment deadline for health insurance through the Affordable Care Act is drawing near. We talked to Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney on how to get coverage. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. As the impeachment proceedings move to the House Judiciary Committee, the nation's attention once again turns to Capitol Hill. And a new survey from the Society for Human Resource Management suggests highly politicized topics like the impeachment inquiry are creating discord in the workplace. We discuss the findings with Johnny C. Taylor, Jr., CEO and president of SHRM. We conducted a survey of American workers, all 50 states, Roughly 850 people were surveyed, and in an overall worker survey, so we weren't talking to employers, it was really a focus on employees. And the idea was to tell us about, we were very curious about workplace culture. 26% of American workers didn't say they kind of didn't like to go to work or would prefer a new job, they dreaded it. So we dug down more deeply into understanding what, what made it so dreadful. And what we found was there was some toxicity in the workplace around politics. We, you know, our early research led us to, to do more deeper research, and we learned that 12% of employees say they've experienced political affiliation bias in the workplace. And before you go any further, let me ask, does this so, fall under other parameters that are illegal in the workplace? Right. So it's interesting. It's not a protected category. There's definitely no national or federal legislation, and a few states and local jurisdictions have that say you should not or cannot discriminate against people based upon political affiliation, but it's by no means widespread. So, and, and your point's well taken. Imagine that if 12%, that is more than one in 10 employees, are saying, I've been discriminated against on the basis of my political affiliation, we would never tolerate that. If 10% of women or 10% of African Americans said they are being discriminated against in the workplace uh, or subjected to bias. So it's a real issue, and frankly, there's no legal recourse. When you talked to these employees, did you ask if their workplace had policies in place regarding political discourse? We do, and most don't. In fact, very, very few. There are in many instances an unspoken rule that says you don't discuss politics at work. There are a few instances where companies have specifically said we don't allow these conversations to occur. But the reality is they're occurring anyway. It's the water cooler conversation, and people are forced to kind of go underground and have the conversations, and that's where the bias really shows up. Um, Another really interesting finding in the research was that 42% of American workers say they have themselves been involved in or witnessed fights at work over politics. That's ridiculous that nearly one in two employees 
are experiencing that kind of hostility at work. Do you mean physical fights? It's some physical and some verbal, but that's the term fight generally was. We've seen these fights at work, not just where, okay, we agree to disagree, literally verbal and, in cases, physical altercations about politics. I'm curious to know, though, are the numbers different when it comes to a state that's identified as a red state or a blue state? (laughs) I knew that, yeah. And so we didn't dig into that. And that's really the next level of this research is to say, do we feel like it's more of a progressive challenge or is it more of a conservative challenge? We don't know that right now. Um, We don't. You said that most of the companies don't have uh, a policy in place regarding uh, political harassment, I guess you can call it, if it's resulting in fights. That's right. What is an employee's recourse other than quitting? Do they have any? No, they don't. Sadly, in most instances, you either quit and stay. So in other words, you just stay there and say, okay, I'm just going to take this check and I don't care. Uh, what more likely happens, especially in a, high, a very, very low employment environment, is that people just quit. They find another job and they go work in a place where they can feel uh, that they belong and are treated more fairly. I think it's fair to say that we live in a, uh, a society that is fractured by politics and we're heading into a presidential election year. How does this bode for people who feel uh, discriminated against or abused over their political views? Well, so that's the challenge. The survey, we found that 56 percent of workers say it's gotten worse over the last four years. And so if that's occurring, and I think you think about it, the president's only been in place for three years. So I think it started in the run-up to the election. So we expect that in 2020, with the upcoming election, with the impeachment discussion, et cetera, this is going to become even more caustic. And so that's why we're encouraging employers to go to talkworkculture.com, which is a website that gives managers, people managers, HR professionals, the tools to facilitate these conversations. You just can't say, we don't allow conversations about politics at work. You can't fire everyone. The reality is it's occurring and half your population is having it. So realistically, what you've got to do is put guardrails on and facilitate the conversation so that people can, again, disagree but not be disagreeable, that we don't shut people down, that we don't silence them, ostracize them for having different views. Johnny, did you hear from anybody who said that their position at their company or business was affected, they weren't promoted maybe, or or other benefits were taken away because of their political view? Well, yes, that's where the 12 percent of the folks said they have actually experienced political affiliation bias some significant percentage of it. Some of it is just bias. My manager favors someone over me because they are more politically aligned. But a significant number of that, 12%, told us I actually was fired, demoted, not hired, is the worst case scenario. Someone who during the interview said, I worked on this campaign and was immediately not given, not advanced in the recruitment process. So it's a real issue. And as I pointed out and you pointed out, there are no laws that generally prevent it. So people, this is the one area of discrimination that you're allowed to just essentially do openly. But certainly in the interview process, it's not illegal to ask someone what their political views are. Not at all. It's amazing. I mean, there are a few exceptions around the country in localities, but there's no federal legislation, statewide legislation that would prevent that. And so what we also find, it's really important, a resume can indicate, what if you say you worked on this campaign? 
that immediately lets the person on the other side, when you say, oh, I worked on X campaign, now people automatically can draw conclusions about what your political affiliation is. And based upon that, you can be totally rejected from a position that you're otherwise qualified for. And there's no law against that. Is there a place where people can see this survey? Yes, talkworkculture.com. Uh, is there, and not only can you get the survey results, but then you can also learn some tactics to deal with this really incredibly important problem. Johnny C. Taylor Jr. is the CEO and president of SHRM, which stands for Society for Human Resource Management. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing the data. Thank you, Karen. Coming up, HIV challenges in the Delta, part two of our special report. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Happy Holidays from Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. More than half of people diagnosed with HIV in the South are African American. The Mississippi Delta is home to some of the highest infection rates in the state and the country. There's still a lot of stigma around having HIV and AIDS here. But as MPB's Alexandra Watts reports, some people are finding support in what may seem at first like a surprising location. Dorothy Davis remembers getting the call that would change her life. Well, I was called down at the Washington County Health Department and I had to have a blood test. So when I went back... She read my test off and said that somebody had turned me in that said that they had tested positive, so now I was positive of HIV in 1990. Davis had a nine-year-old daughter and feared that HIV would progress to AIDS. By 1992, the virus was the second leading cause of death for black women aged 25 to 44, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The stigma was isolating. Davis says even her own doctor was afraid of her. Back in the time when they really want to put on gloves, don't want to touch you for this and touch you for that, because I had one doctor sent me way to another place to get examined. (laughs) I'm like, okay. It was time to change doctors. I'm already scared now. I don't need him making me scared. Davis says her family was supportive, but still, she felt alone and scared. There weren't many resources or support systems in the Mississippi Delta. She took charge of her health, and today, she's a grandmother working to spread HIV awareness. It it has been a long road. Thought I was going to die tomorrow when I got tested. But no, I didn't. Advances in medication have made it more manageable to live with HIV, especially if it's caught and treated in its earliest stages. But it hasn't gone away. Emory University tracks infection rates on an interactive map called AIDSVU. That's AIDSVU. In 2016, about 9,500 Mississippians had HIV. 73% of them were black. In the Delta, where infection rates are higher and access to clinics is limited, Dorothy Davis gives presentations about the disease at church. It's Sunday morning at Greenville's Mount Carmel Missionary Baptist Church. Davis isn't teaching this morning. She's singing and clapping from a pew. Mount Carmel is not Davis's home church, but it is one where she knows the people well. 
Pastor Morris McCaskill and his wife Cheryl are on the front lines of HIV education in their community. If you love God, you got to love people. Everybody should be accepted. And then these seminars will teach them that you can't contract anything by just touching and, and all of that. Most people just don't want to open up to know. They say, well, we keep it secret or we keep it hidden and da-da-da, then we won't have to be involved. But it's still out there. The reaction was kind of twofold. David Miller's cousin was a gay man living in a small North Carolina town at the height of the epidemic. One, it wasn't talked about. But two, there was a shunning of the church members, particularly the gay males. Miller is a Case Western Reserve University professor who studies black men's health. He says historically, churches have shunned people with HIV because they assume they got it through drug use or same-sex relationships. I think the church is coming around, and they know that this is something that is affecting the black community, so they really have to be open. Cedric Sturdivant runs the Greenville Office of AIDS Services Coalition, a nonprofit that provides services and support. While some in the Delta are working one church at a time, there is a national conversation going on as well. The NAACP has an outreach project called the Black Church and HIV. It works with church leadership to teach their congregations about the disease and how it affects the black community. Pastor Will Francis works with the project and says some churches are starting to look at HIV as a social justice issue. We found that once we went into a city, especially in the southeast, which is where we were focused, that HIV rates also overlap with unemployment, with poverty, access to care, lack of comprehensive sex education or any sex education within the school districts. An NAACP study shows African-Americans rate the church as very important, which Cheryl McCaskill of Mount Carmel Missionary Baptist Church says makes black churches the perfect place for education and support around HIV and AIDS. Because we're in the community, we ought to be concerned about the things that's going on in the community. And if we don't say anything, then it's like you agreeing that, okay, we don't know nothing, so we, it ain't happening. We can't fool ourselves that things are not happening in our community, in our homes, in everywhere. Dorothy Davis, who got her diagnosis almost 30 years ago, agrees. I believe that many people will come out when they know that it's, I'm not the only one in, 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 in the Delta. You know, it's more people that can help me or get me help so that I can take care of myself. Almost 30 years ago, she thought her life was over. Now she's a grandmother, an HIV health educator, and she hopes an inspiration to others with HIV in the Mississippi Delta. Alexandra Watts, MPB News. Coming up after your Southern Remedy Health Minute, the enrollment deadline for health insurance through the Affordable Care Act is drawing near. We talk to Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney on how to get coverage. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hard work, determination, excellence. The high school football championships are coming to MPB Think Radio December 6th and 7th. Broadcasting live from M.M. Roberts Stadium in Hattiesburg, the 2019 Blue Cross Blue Shield of Mississippi Gridiron Classic brings another great year of high school football to a close. Tune in on December 6th and 7th as champs are crowned right here on MPB Think Radio. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Big study looking at over 3 million cancer survivors all the way back from the early 70s through 2016, and I've been fortunate to see in my lifetime such an improvement in cancer treatment uh, and cures Uh, It's amazing what we've been able to do over the last 40 or 50 years. And because of that, we have cancer survivors that are living longer and longer. Uh, One of the things we want to do is to tease out in people who are living longer with chronic diseases or cancer survivors, do they have any increased risk of other things? And one of the things that we're picking up on now is that they have an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. Some of the things that they noticed from this report, an increased age of cancer diagnosis carried a little bit increased risk for death from cardiovascular disease. And for those survivors who were diagnosed before the age of 55 uh, years of age, it's about a tenfold higher risk than the general population. doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to die of, of cardiovascular disease, but it does mean that your team of, of healthcare providers needs to be looking at those increased risk factors. And perhaps, you know, there's some things to help uh, reduce that risk, like changing uh, modifiable lifestyle factors like exercise and what you eat. Uh, And certainly there are great medications to reduce that too. We've got lots of different calculators that can uh, calculate your risk over the next 10 years of your life to help see if we can do that. So think about that. If you're a cancer survivor, first of all, congratulations. Uh, But also uh, talk to your physician about maybe some other things that you need to be doing for cardiovascular disease surveillance. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. For that drive you've got coming up for the holidays, listen to MPB all around the state of Mississippi. Going out of state? The MPB Public Media app will keep you connected to home. For that flight in your future, download podcasts of MPB local shows and listen anytime, anywhere. MPB Think Radio. Spend the holidays with us. Happy Holidays from Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Enrollment for coverage through the Affordable Care Act closes on December 15th. MPB's Desiree Frazier talks with Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney about how Mississippians can access the exchange. Well, what's extremely important for consumers to know is that if you're going to enroll in the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, you need to enroll before December the 15th to be eligible for coverage beginning in January of 2020. And to do that, you can go to healthcare.gov. On, on the website, and if you do not have a computer, go to your local library. You can try to use your library to look up a website and look at the various plans that are offered. In Mississippi, uh, in every county, you will have the option to buy Ambetter, and in 19 counties, including the Jackson metro area, you will have the option to purchase from one of two carriers, including Molina or Ambetter, either one. What you want to check for, if you're a consumer, is to be certain that you're a doctor or your facilities are in a network that's accepted by 
those carriers, and that's all available online. In terms of premium costs, what can you share about that? Premium cost has has not increased um, very much. Actually, we've had some decreases uh, in premium uh, depending upon the type of plan that you would buy. You either buy what we call a bronze, silver, gold, or platinum. 99% of most people buy a silver plan, which is they call metal plans, and that's a standard plan with a 20% uh, copay and a fairly decent deductible. Can you tell us how many people enrolled last year? We, well, last year we had between seventy-eight and 80,000 that stayed enrolled after they paid, they paid the premiums that were due. And this year it looks like we're going to have uh, an increase in enrollment, which is contrary to what you find nationwide. At this point, um, our largest carrier has over 60,000. It's in line with last year. Actually, it's up a little bit. And uh, our new carrier has um, a fairly large number. So we're looking already at around 80,000 people that have enrolled. These numbers look pretty strong for Mississippi. A lot of that is due to the fact that uh, premiums are level. They haven't gone up like they have in other states. And number two is because we have a fairly decent network. It seems to be better than some of the networks that we had back in 16 and 17. Are people sharing with you what they think about the kind of service they're getting under the ACA? We do get a lot of opinions from consumers uh, regarding their experience with the Affordable Care Act and uh, their networks that the companies have. And generally speaking, when we have a complaint, uh, they're handled rather rapidly. I'm talking about within hours. Our job is to watch out for consumers and be certain premiums are fair. So we've done a pretty good job at that at the department. There have been um, efforts to uh, reduce the amount of marketing. There's very little marketing for uh, the sign-up enrollment period. But it seems like despite that, people are finding out about the program. Your thoughts on that? Well, there's been less federal dollars into the marketing side. But what we've encouraged the companies to do that are on the Affordable Care Act is to uh, market themselves, to um, let the consumer know that you can buy on the open market or through healthcare.gov. And the reason for that is that we want the consumer to also to have the choice to buy a policy that's not on the ACA if you don't qualify for a tax credit. And um, the companies have been quick to... Um, Try to work with us on that issue to have a, have more competition in the open market and free marketplace outside of all the Affordable Care Act. So it's been a win-win for us in Mississippi. Mike Cheney, Insurance Commissioner for the state of Mississippi, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you, and uh, thank Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the public service announcements they do. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.